May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. One study found that patients living with chronic Lyme disease were almost twice as likely as those with breast cancer or mental illness to speak about loss of trust in their physician. And their literal or implicit rejection by a physician was identified almost exclusively by this group. Contested illnesses, which also include syndromes such as Gulf War illness and multiple chemical sensitivity, are characterized by a lack of known biological cause or abnormality and uncertain or ill-defined treatment paradigm. Invisibility and lack of social support are also a big part of living with post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Here are some examples of this. You don't understand what kind of tired I'm talking about was a general theme in a study where they were interviewing people who were diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease and sharing their narratives. The majority of the participants that were interviewed had initial objective clinical signs of Lyme disease that were visible to others, including the rash and neurologic or joint symptom complications. Consistent with the clinical literature on Lyme disease, these signs often resolved with appropriate antibiotic treatment. However, the post-treatment symptoms that remained were more likely to be invisible to others. When you see a Band-Aid, you can see something hurt. You can see somebody getting treatment. You can see the effects. It's there. But when you see somebody that looks normal, do you know what I mean? It's a little different, and I think sometimes that can be the hard part. Symptom and illness invisibility emerge in the interviews in different ways. Participants spoke of the ubiquity of fatigue, pain, headaches, sleep disruption, and other symptoms among their peers in the general population. As a result, some of their symptoms were perceived as exaggerated or whiny to others. There are those that think you're just complaining, blaming it on Lyme. Alternatively, some of the participants expressed how they themselves had questioned the nature and severity of their symptoms, at least temporarily during the illness process. Many participants expressed frustration in conveying that their symptoms were qualitatively and quantitatively different from the aches, pains, and tiredness of everyday life. One man echoed the incongruity between patients with post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome or chronic Lyme experiences and the common perception that Lyme disease is easily treated and cured without long-term sequelae. Other people say, well, it's just a little tick. My kids got well from it. Oh, well, 99% of you probably are going to get well from it. It's the other 1% who feels left out or not right. I've attached the link to this article talking about the narrative experiences of multiple people who have been living with post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. This will likely resonate for many of you who have post-treatment Lyme disease or chronic Lyme diagnoses as well as loved ones who don't understand it and aren't living with it but want to learn more, and hopefully medical doctors who have patients who 
have had that experience. One of my goals with the podcast is to help take away that uncertainty and that chaos and help you on your quest to go from not just learning to live with, but to conquering, to lessen the struggle that you are having, and in some cases to even reversing your symptoms. On next week's episode, an interview with one of my patients of mine who just went through that over the last year and has reversed into the normal range. Continuing from last week, discussing that article from Johns Hopkins. I talked about a study done by John Hopkins Lyme Disease Research Center. What they looked at was the risk of post-treatment Lyme disease in patients with early diagnosed and promptly treated Lyme disease. It is the largest peer-reviewed perspective-controlled study in the United States. They wanted to look at the longer-term outcome of Lyme disease patients. It was rigorously designed to determine if persistent patient-reported symptoms following the early diagnosis and prompt treatment of Borrelia burgdorferi or Lyme disease infection are significant and distinguishable from those found in healthy non-Lyme controls. What they did was a longitudinal prospective controlled study following 234 early diagnosed and treated patients who met standard criteria for acute Lyme, prior documented Lyme disease with an erythema migraine rash, and no other specific comorbidities. So these were relatively healthy people. Then followed them and looked for specific symptoms and functional impact over the next 6 to 12 months following their initial Lyme disease diagnosis and treatment. They followed 234 patients diagnosed with acute Lyme and compared them to a healthy cohort of 49 people. All of the 234 patients had been diagnosed with acute Lyme by accepted criteria either through a clinical diagnosis with acute erythema migraines or through the accepted CDC and FDA antibody studies. The study is the first also to examine the impact of potential confounders, including race, sex, education, heart disease, hypertension, mental health disorders, depression, and prior traumatic life events. All participants completed a comprehensive standardized series of well-validated symptom-based surveys for fatigue, pain, sleep, depression, Cognitive symptoms and quality of life, clinical outcomes and symptoms were analyzed and compared to non-Lyme infected controls. Participants in both groups were excluded for self-reported prior medical conditions, specifically chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, unexplained chronic pain, sleep apnea or narcolepsy, autoimmune disease, chronic neurologic disease, liver disease, HIV, cancer or malignancy in the past two years, major psychiatric illnesses, or drug or alcohol abuse. What did they find? When examined 6 to 12 months after the initial antibiotic treatment, 14% of the Lyme disease patients continued to have persistent symptoms, including fatigue, pain, and cognitive symptoms that impacted quality of life, which was significantly higher than the 4% of the control population exhibiting persistent symptoms. Participants with prior Lyme disease were approximately five times as likely to meet symptom and functional impact criteria for post-treatment Lyme disease compared to those without prior Lyme disease. They also had higher joint pain, memory problems, and depression, and two to three times odds of reporting moderate or severe fatigue and muscle pain. Results were highly statistically significant and indicate symptoms were not just the mild 
fatigue and pain of everyday living, but rather severe fatigue and pain that impacted quality of life. Females were four times as likely as males to meet post-treatment Lyme disease criteria, then return to health criteria. Each unit of traumatic life event increased the risk of developing post-Lyme treatment disorder by 30%. They found that having prior Lyme disease had a major impact on the development of post-Lyme treatment disorder symptoms. You were 16 times more likely to have fatigue, eight times more likely to have muscle pain, 3.2 times more likely to have difficulty finding words, nearly four times more likely to have difficulty focusing, two and a half times greater risk of developing memory changes. Depression symptoms were three times more likely and almost two times more likely to have numbness sensations in the hands and feet. Different hypotheses for the causation of the symptoms included some autoimmune reaction or activation of the autonomic or central nervous system. More research was recommended to help learn more about this post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. The summary is that it is very real, and there are factors that seem to increase your risk of developing it. These are the same types of factors that play a role with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. What this suggests is that there is a difference in women versus men, as well as prior traumatic life events on their response to Borrelia burgdorferi infection, especially the impact of the symptoms that develop months after. Other studies have shown a similar finding with 10 to 20% persisting with chronic pain, fatigue, and brain fog. The core symptoms of fatigue, generalized pain, and cognitive dysfunction are similar to those seen in other associated persistent infections such as long-haul COVID and chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. We will pick up where we left off with the discussion with Dr. Zachary Telfer. Zach is a fourth-year medical resident who works with me in the clinic. He plans to start an infectious disease fellowship next year. I asked to have him talk more about the role of cytokines and possible pathways for causation of post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Yeah, Lyme disease itself, like I said, is caused by a spirochete bacteria. And actually, the spirochetes inside of us, their job is to survive. You know, I was always told in microbiology not to anthropomorphize microorganisms. So I shouldn't give them emotions and feelings and drives and goals. But as a life form, it wants to reproduce and it wants to get to the next host and it wants to duplicate. So its job is not to really kill us, but it doesn't mean that our body likes that it's around. So we have developed an immune system that is really great at detecting bacteria, really great at detecting viruses and all of the other organisms that are in our environment and when we detect this bacteria, just like we detect all the other microorganisms, there's certain cells and certain immune modulators that are released in order to try to kill this bacteria. And some of those are cytokines. Those are just molecules that our body creates in order to ramp up our immune system in order to try to kill off organisms. They have lots of jobs. Some call in other cells. Some help develop and mature cells and you know, some switch our immune system into a high drive in order to kill certain organisms. So 
we have hundreds of thousands of cytokines in our immune system. And so Lyme is very pro-inflammatory. Like that's why uh, many of the early stages are inflammation. We have inflamed joints, we have inflamed nerves, we have inflamed hearts, we have all of these organs that are experiencing inflammation because the spirochete is not necessarily doing the damage. Our own immune system is causing inflammation on organs and wreaking havoc. We always talk about how it's really great that we have an immune system, but there's many conditions where our immune system sometimes is a little bit over-exuberant and can cause some issues. When I'm in clinic with you and we're talking about these post-infectious syndromes like long-haul COVID or some people who have certain diseases like mono and all of these other diseases where they have long-term fatigue, pain after having infection, it's potentially triggered by an inflammatory state or a cytokine, like you were saying. Obviously, we don't have great research to suggest that, but that's just because the research isn't there. And I think that it's not unreasonable to think that could be what's going on. Cytokines make you feel run down, tired, sore, and achy. Many people have had influenza at least once in their life. And Often before they get all of the respiratory type symptoms, will just feel wiped. Like they got hit by a bus and their body aches and is sore. And then they start getting the congestion and the cough and the fever. And many people who have fibromyalgia will feel that they always are having this mono-like, influenza-like, but it's not just four, five, six, seven days. It is weeks turning into months, turning into years. I talk about this in my book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, that there's a mechanism for central sensitization that occurs with repetitive painful stimuli. It's called the temporal summation of the second pain or TSSP, and it occurs in those with fibromyalgia more than those without. And this has been demonstrated where they did a study where people had repeated painful heat shocks to the thumb area of the palm. And what they showed is that compared to people who don't have fibromyalgia or that sensitive nervous system, those who do have fibromyalgia will have persistence of pain even well after the thermal stimuli is taken away. And I think that likely is playing a role, at least my opinion, with the cytokine storm or release is that you have that initial achiness. The body is kind of the pain and fatigue is turned on. The switch is turned on. And then the off switch is not turned off quickly. I kind of think of it as the analogy is you have a big balloon that's filled up with air representing pain. So you get an acute injury or acute inflammation where there's a lot of pain, those catch our attention. You might roll your ankle and suddenly you have this shock go throughout your body. You might even trip and fall because it hurts so much. Then you pick yourself off the ground and you realize, okay, it's just my ankle. I don't hurt everywhere. Often if you're watching sports, there may be an injury on the field and the player's down and they're not faking it. They really are hurt. They're injured. And then Oh, you see them walk off the field. That's kind of an example where you have that acute initial pain. It hurts in a sense diffusely, but then relatively quickly you may 
go from diffuse to localized pain. And I think that probably plays a role with understanding the chronic Lyme symptoms where there's that acute pain. And then there's somebody who's genetically more predisposed who then gets into that cycle. And one of the cycles that often you hear with fibromyalgia is an acute injury. It might be whiplash. It might be a car accident. Often there may be acute stress. And in this case, you know, acute infection with Lyme or post COVID where somebody gets acutely sick, but they never fully recovery. And then there's a lot of other things that they were doing in life that were helping them like regular exercise, good sleep, eating healthy. And when you start getting into this downward spiral, often people don't get back up because they're caught in quicksand and they're left trying to get help. And I think a good number of these patients meet criteria for fibromyalgia with diffuse pain, brain fog, and fatigue. We're finding that with other disorders. I did a series a month ago talking about chronic migraines and headaches and the connection with post-concussion. Often there's like, oh, wow, post-concussions and ADHD and migraines seem to have a connection. So it's trying to connect all of these dots. And as somebody who is an internal medicine doctor and a pediatrician who decided not to camp out on one silo, <laughs> but be able to stay connected to all the silos and have an interest, it is very helpful for a problem like this to see how they're connected and as you are in an academic center, a lot of the research dollars are in silos. Yeah. There isn't a chronic Lyme clinic at your academic center, correct, that you know of? That I know of, but I haven't heard. Yeah. There are around the country, though, long haul COVID syndrome clinics that are popping up. And I think research coming through there will help us grow in our understanding of these other post-infectious disorders and I think a lot of the results are consistent with an acute stress causing persistent symptoms. And our hope, at least with the book and the podcast, is to give information. That's what inspired me to write. There's a lot of gray area, but there is a lot that we understand. But this is a lot more complicated than you have acute Lyme, here's the rash, you can look at every website and see this and take doxycycline and you get better. Almost all the time. And research shows one of the questions that comes to my mind is how many patients who have that acute Lyme may have post Lyme symptoms. And it's about, I think, 10, 12, 15% may have symptoms. And that's similar in long haul COVID is that there's a certain percentage who will have persistent long term symptoms. Any other thoughts that you have? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. I think working with the patients that you see, I think I've learned a lot and on our journey to hike up the mountain so we can see from above. And I think as primary care doctors, that's what our job is. On our journey up there, we'll just uh, avoid the ticks. But I think now that I have worked with you and I have a chance to think about these things, we have all this information. We have information about each disease that we talk about and we keep joking about the silos, but we have all this information, but there hasn't been many people that have 
made the connections. We are drawing connections between all these diseases and, and how they're related. I think that's what we're missing in our education at the moment. And so I think you're right. As we learn more about post-COVID, since it has affected so many people, there's more money dedicated to its research. And we might be able to learn more about chronic pain and fibromyalgia, especially in relation to other infectious diseases and after they've been treated. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast here. I enjoy having you in clinic and enjoy teaching and you're always eager to learn. And I oh, yeah. learned from you when you're in training, you get to keep on a lot of the inpatients and other things and understanding more about these problems and staying close to the infectious disease world. And I know that when you're working in the future in infectious disease clinic, when you see a patient of these, you're going to have a broader understanding and perspective, whether you then say, well, I'm going to take on comprehensive care, <laughs> probably maybe not willing, but you're like, well, there is a doctor out. <laughs> yeah. Out there. Well, yeah, yeah. Actually, I know, I know, I know yeah, a you know, guy, but he's, <laughs> but he's pretty busy. But the hope of the podcast is to grow and shedding more light and understanding. So as many medical doctors out there can start to also connect these dots and have confidence Unfortunately, medicine moves often slowly, especially if there isn't a great, quick, easy solution. You know, the latest cancer drug that can increase survival in 50% of patients and, and it's a game breaker and or medications, whether it's biological agents for treating rheumatoid arthritis and other problems there is that, hey, we can cure and we can help and you know, things like insulin that allow people to live with type 1 diabetes. Using thyroid medicine to treat people who have thyroid problems is so satisfying. But often in medicine in the primary care world, and I've had this in the last couple of days where I'll say, I hope your thyroid in one sense is abnormal because you have all these symptoms. But I'm telling you, it probably is going to be normal. So let's go on that assumption so that when it comes back normal, we're not surprised. We're kind of expecting, even though you might Google and find to say all of these symptoms fit. And you may have a lot of symptoms that fit exactly with Lyme. I feel tired, I fatigue, I have these mental fog and brain fog, but, well, you don't have Lyme. And then there's confusion because some doctors may say, oh, well, well, you do, but they didn't do the right test. And then the patient's left in no man's land of who do I trust? And often... For doctors, if you're not spending time discussing these, they will go to a doctor who will actually take more time. And I think taking time, maybe sending someone to listen to the podcast to grow in their understanding, reading more of the book will help that as well. Well, I wish you the best. I know you're going to probably see me in a month once you wrap up yeah. cardiology, but, and then you got a fellowship interviews and all of that fun stuff going through the process. For those who are not familiar with at least how the American medical system works, but probably in a lot of the systems around the world, you try real hard, take applications to get into medical school, get accepted med school. Then you start deciding what kind of doctor you want to be. And often that's a general, like it might be internal medicine, general surgery, and then you may specialize in cardiothoracic surgery or orthopedic surgery or go on to be a GI doctor or infectious disease doctor. And then when you decide you might want to be an infectious disease doctor, then what's the next step? 
once I decide to be infectious disease doctor, then I have to do what I'm doing now and uh, apply to different fellowship programs across the nation. And I'll interview with them and I'll make a list of where I want to go and they'll make a list of who they want. And there's a computer system that tosses us together to make sure that everyone across the nation that's applying to your specialty is best fit to the program that you want and that the program wants you. So it's a bit up to the computer system. It's all very interesting and going through that process. And hopefully, too, for yourself, as you're learning in the clinic, as you keep up to date on all the different infectious diseases, to continue learning as a doctor. I think it makes it exciting is that there are always new things to learn. And there's a lot to learn with chronic Lyme. We don't have all the answers, but there's a lot of clues out there that suggest that there are things that we understand and that we can help people who are going through struggles. And hopefully I have this as a tool. I'll always be able to point them to at least the first step of their journey. It's often you don't have this. Well, actually, I think you have this. And and that's often in the world of what I do as an internal medicine and pediatrician. I can say, well, you have this and there's a doctor who treats this. You have a gallbladder that's full of gallstones that may need to be removed. Here's a surgeon to do that. You have an appendicitis. I don't treat that. And hopefully other doctors, if they're in a silo like infectious disease, can recognize and say, hey, here is an answer. Now, the real problem that may end up being is we don't have a lot of doctors out there who feel real comfortable (laughs) treating this. So if you're listening to this in the United States and in other countries, there aren't a lot of doctors tackling this, at least in the traditional medical system. There's many doctors in the alternative medicine world. I really like helping people who are going through this, found a lot of hope and satisfaction. All right, well, let you get back to getting a little rest and recovery before you hit the hospital tomorrow. And again, thanks a lot. Well, thanks for having me. There is so much more that could be said. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. The link is in the show notes. Next week, we are going to start a series with a patient of mine, Adam, who had for over eight years of struggle being diagnosed with chronic Lyme and other disorders before finally finding out that he actually had fibromyalgia the whole time. He then found me through the podcast and met with me as a patient and now has reversed his fibromyalgia. This had been formally labeled chronic Lyme. He has done this through a comprehensive approach, blending the best of both lifestyle medicine and appropriate medical care. His story is going to be highly insightful, inspiring, with so many good words of wisdom and thoughts from his story and experience of what he went through. Please leave a five-star rating and review. This will allow others who are trying to find hope and inspiration and understanding and real answers and real solutions for real fibromyalgia. Until next week, go Team Fibro.